Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. We're diving into Wall Street careers, specifically in the exciting space of exchange-traded funds. Today, we're talking about business intelligence. As the world of finance, investing, and ETFs gets more complex and more nuanced, we need more data-driven insights that can support business decisions. We have Montana Saltzman and Bree Williams with us. Welcome, you both, to We Talk Careers podcast. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Great to have you both. Montana, let's start with you. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so I'm an uh, ETF investment director at uh, Fidelity Investments. I've been at the firm for about eight years now. Um, In my current role, I represent the firm both internally and externally as an ETF subject matter expert. So I'm constantly working to educate and advocate for Fidelity's ETF lineup. I moved to Colorado uh, about five years ago now, and I really enjoy just taking advantage of hiking and and all the wonderful outdoor activities there are in in Denver. Wonderful. And how about you, Bree? Can you tell us about yourself? Absolutely. So I work with State Street Global Advisors, and it'll be 10 years next March. And I'm in business development. Specifically, I run our practice management group. And our passion really lies in how we help financial advisors and wealth managers achieve their goals. So I think an easy way to think about what we do is we don't sell anything other than business ideas to improve operational efficiency, help someone streamline investment management performance, and of course, nurture that trust in the financial advisors and clients, which is their most important asset. My family and I, we live in Hingham, Massachusetts. Uh, We've been here for a very long time. And we're about four miles from the beach, uh, which is fantastic. Always nice to have the ocean in your background. But, you know, we love to be outside. I'm an avid runner. I travel quite a bit for work. Um, So it's a great way. You know, you can cover a lot of ground in five miles and see where you're at outside from the office, the hotel, or the conference room. Wonderful. Well, thank you both for joining us today. I, I just have to take a moment you know, Montana, you have been such a great supporter and cheerleader for this podcast, the work that you do and getting it up on the website and just the great emails you send. It's been so great to have you as part of this journey. So thank you for that. Yeah, I've, I've loved watching it grow and um, being able to, to be a part of it behind the scenes. Absolutely. And Bree, um, your work in marketing for women in ETFs, I mean, we are just growing and the opportunities that have laid before us to get the word out as we connect, support and inspire each other has been great. So thank you for just a dedicated time in marketing. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And and thank you all. It's, It's a group effort. Absolutely. And a true labor of love. It's important. It is a group effort. Oh my goodness. It's, you know, it's, it's cool to be part of an organization that started with, you know, 20 members now where I think, uh, you know, well over 8,000. And it's just this idea of it really does take this village of people taking time to sometimes to step back and other times to step forward and take more forward leading roles. So I applaud everyone who does this off the side of their desk with full time jobs. 
So, you know, this episode, I think, is going to be great for listeners to really get an idea of what it takes to support ETFs in the industry. And as data is changing and as relationships change and as sort of the world of ETF grows, I am excited to really drill into what both of you do. So maybe starting with you, Bree, can you um, tell us about sort of a recent day, you know, something that's happened that exemplifies your role in where you are? Sure. Well, I think I'll back up and just say like, each day, the big choice I have to make is, is the day going to run me or am I going to run the day? That's, oh. That is a daily, daily battle. And I'm, you know, let's be real, not always successful in, in striking that balance. And it's an ongoing juggling act, which I think all of us can, can definitely relate to. But, you know, I would think to answer your question, like, what's a realistic goal of something I could accomplish in about a week's time? you know, really comes down to the art of storytelling. So a lot of our responsibilities in practice management is communicating big ideas and then breaking them down into tangible applications. So the advisor or wealth manager can create the change that he or she wants to move forward. So to tell that compelling story, you know, it's, it's certainly not something I can do in a day, but in terms of crafting with all the information that we have, both data input from primary and secondary research, as well as what we know in terms of our own homegrown expertise in business development. And then what are we solving for so we can provide a solution that will be effective to help them defeat the challenge that they're facing. So this past week, because I'm presenting on Monday out in Scottsdale, Arizona, the task at hand was to create a story around building trust through this idea of resiliency and how you can be a source as a financial advisor and your expanded team of this resiliency network. So we created a quick 19 slide deck and over an hour put together a narrative that takes you through the concept of what resiliency is, why we need that today as an investor, given how markets have been so uh, topsy-turvy over the last three years, it doesn't seem like things are going to change anytime soon. Then there's your own behavior as an investor. So how can you, Mr. and Mrs. Advisor, help them become more resilient over time? And we lean on behavioral finance to provide those solutions. So that took about a week to kind of arrive at our thread and be able to communicate that in an impactful way that encourages questions. And people walk away with, you know what, there's a few things here I can put to work tomorrow. I love the concept of resiliency. We talk about it with our teenagers, right? You know, it's this idea of all the things that they say that help you be successful in all aspects of your life. If you can be resilient to the challenges that you're facing where, you know, things like worry and stress and um, mm -hmm. anxiety and all those pieces don't wear away at your overall goal setting. And so I love that we can take that concept of resiliency at sort of the financial advisor level with like, them helping their clients, you know, achieve goals and being resilient to market, re being resilient to, you know, changes and obscure demands and, and things like that. Um, you know, I hadn't really thought of it that way. I, I love that it comes down to the art of storytelling. Do you feel that every time you come up with a deck like that, it lands well with the teams that you're working with? Or do you feel like you also have the job of bringing people along? So it definitely is a bit of building and flying the plane at the same time. So whoever is the first audience to hear the story is our guinea pig, for lack of a better way to describe it. But we take the feedback in, good, the bad, 
the middle ground, and we optimize to improve upon it. I would say that the reason we are holding our jobs because we're good at it. So we, we rarely swing and miss in a big way, but there's always ways to adjust it. And especially knowing who are you in front of. So if you're going to talk about this idea of resiliency and showing how the way one adapts and has not only a well-crafted plan, uh, an investment portfolio that's built for the upside and downside, but the behavior makes a huge difference. You can talk about resiliency as, an, as a source of success for one that's running a business, for one that's managing it and leading a team, as well as those that are serving the individual investors. So there are refinements to you know, which talk track gets put out. But that's why I love what we do, because it's this constant feedback loop. And it gives us the opportunity to kind of best ourselves each and every time. So yes, it's on the shelf, but each delivery that we do is tailored and it feels unique in a way. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. And does that make sense to you, Montana, as well? You know, I guess thinking about what you do on a daily basis, a weekly basis, can you take us through some goals that relate back to this concept of business intelligence? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, well, I mean, one of the my favorite aspects of my job is that every day um, truly is different. And we are a small team um, within the firm. Uh, so we really do have the opportunity to to really cover the different aspects of the, the ETF industry and the ETF ecosystem um, and kind of have that broader perspective. So I recently, um, I guess this just is kind of an example of one of those, it may not be in necessarily my, my written job description, but one of those things that really like allows us to, to represent ourselves as a small team. So um, I recently had the opportunity to represent the Fidelity ETFs by hosting 50 plus senior leaders within the firm to ring the bell in NASDAQ. And I was provided with the opportunity to moderate the panel um, with top industry leaders with the goal of educating those internally, um, on the nuances with the ETF industry, um, just from like an outsider expert perspective. So it was definitely something that you could say was maybe um, a little bit outside of my comfort zone and something that um, I really had to put myself out there. Um, but this also opened um, just a lot of, of doors for me and allowed me to represent myself internally as the, that, that ETF subject matter expert. I love that you both talk about the work that you're doing culminating with some kind of event, right? You know, so like you have to be ready for Scottsdale, you have to be ready for NASDAQ. So maybe you can take us through a little bit about how you have effectively found to manage deadlines. So is that energizing for you in, in your role or is it something that, you know, brings on some stress and, and you wish that, that things were handled differently? Montana, maybe I'll start with you. You know, how do you approach deadlines? Yeah, I think um, I would say it for everyone. It's something that that can bring on stress. I think it's just how you manage that stress and how you know you don't let that affect the deadline per se. So for me, it's always an, it's important to really start with clear goals and what I guess the end, what I want the end result to be for for the deadline, um, and then I'm able to prioritize the tasks and kind of set milestones and, and check in with folks there. So when you say that, I did kind of find myself feeling like more of an event planner. Um, but I do, it, it was important to just have that checklist and make sure that everyone is on track on their different tasks and um, that we're all kind of working together and working as a team. I think that again, you know, can help you meet a deadline. And then I, and I would say it is, I think, working well under pressure um, is something that I've kind of learned 
to adapt to um, in certain instances. So I think, you know, when a deadline's coming up, you, you have to get it done. So I think there's a little bit of both, I think, as far as maybe getting it done early and then more of a um, stress and, and finishing up at the last minute. What about you, Bree? How do you approach deadlines? So I think the question really is how do you manage the competing deadlines? This is really just <laughs> one at a time. Um, so, you know, for me, it comes down to breaking things down into smaller tasks to make it manageable. And actually, I find that motivating because I can check things off as I go on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, depending on how massive the, the project is that we're working on. So, you know, much like Montana mentioned, you know, I approach each week with a very clear goal of what has to get done. And then, you know, I have a daily hot list for myself of what are the two to three things that must happen today. And that just organizes the time and certainly lights a fire in certain areas, but also helps minimize things that might slip through the cracks because I'm actively looking at how many balls are in the air, who has what, what, what's due right now, what could be reprioritized accordingly. And then, you know, the things that we can't plan for are those real life fire drills that happen whether they're at work or personal or a combination of the two, because that's going to disrupt the best laid plan. But it's a factor uh, when you think about just the day-to-day and and getting through the deliverables. And how you adapt in that moment really can make or break your, your week, never mind that day. So we try to you know, manage for the unexpected, even as unrealistic as that sounds, because you know there's going to be a curveball somewhere in there. Uh, despite how neatly you've organized your to-do list for the day. I also think, you know, the team runs better when the deadlines that are set are realistic. Um, It's not fair, whether for the individual or the team, nor is it realistic to run at a sprint 90 miles an hour constantly, because that creates burnout uh, and I think also is going to lead to some mistakes, even if they're not big. No one really likes to make those errors. So I think you have to learn to, you know, make trade-offs, and the prioritization is going to be reprioritized again and again, and that's just par for the course. So in managing those competing deadlines, if you kind of accept a few of those ground rules, fire drills, reprioritization, and you, you know, can't run at 90 miles an hour all the time then I think you, you can give yourself a little bit of grace, which is necessary. And then just as a fun fact, you know, in spending some time in our, in our resiliency space in particular, this is what made me think about that, you know, scientifically, our brains are not built for deep focusing more than an average of four hours a day. Uh, so knowing that that's a fact, I personally try to aim to like, how can I maximize those four hours of critical deep think time that I'm going to get today? And I find that I'm more productive when I, I kind of face the reality of, for that resiliency example I provided and creating that, that narrative, I can't get it in one four hour block, but also, you know, I can't also like dedicate four hours in one day just to that one task. Oh, that makes sense. So In the state of Maine, we have a bank called Gorham Savings Bank, and they put on something called Launchpad, which is like a shark tank for um, companies looking for financing. And um, they give out huge grants of money. And I am one of the judges for Gorham Savings Bank. So they tap three of us and they take their, you know, top five companies that they're looking to, to give this, you know, pretty sizable grant to. And we have to choose the winner. So it's a live event. And this happened recently. And they all came up and they talked about their companies and super hard to choose a winner, right? You know, it's someone else's money, but it's still, you know, really impactful to these growing companies. And 
what I found really fascinating was the time before we went live, you know, we had some reception time. We were able to meet a number of the, you know, folks who run these companies and everything from babyware to playground structures that are completely innovative to ocean um, technologies and book clubs. And it was really just, you know, quite amazing the breadth of types of companies that are coming out of the state of Maine, but also the fact that there are people that do these roles and there are people that they're hiring to do very specific jobs that I didn't even know existed. So I was just kind of, you know, so I'd be like, and so what do you do? And, you know, and they would, they would show me or they would take me through their story of what they did. And I just thought, wow, everyone's got this individual story that brought them to the role that they're in. And so I'm thinking about that with both of you as well. You know, you're sitting in these really unique seats within your, within your firms, things that, that, you know, have such various kind of work that you do. Can you take us through a little bit of that trajectory in your own career? Like, how is it that you got here? And was this what you were aiming for when you found yourself there? So I don't know, Brie, if you want to kick us <laughs> sure. off on this one. So this is one of my favorite questions to, to talk through, because I love like you said, understanding people's own personal journeys. And I think we all have to recognize that career trajectories today are so rarely a straight line, which is why it's important to actively manage your career. But in terms of myself, and I look back the big picture, it, it kind of makes me feel like I'm a bit, a bit of a chameleon, you know, because it's, you know, when I went to, to college, I was, you know, bright eyed and bushy tails, like I'm going to do broadcast journalism. I'm going to be on the Today Show. And I found out I didn't enjoy reporting, meaning going to dig for the story and doing those interviews, especially if it was something that was um, maybe against my own personal values. So if you can't dig the dirt, you can't dish it. So that then pivoted into like maybe it's PR, um, got an internship there, really liked it, but it wasn't quite fulfilling. And then I landed in advertising. And so if you had asked me back in school, would I be in the world of finance and or ETFs? I would have laughed and said, no, you're kidding definitely not. And here I am. So the commonality between all that is, is business development and research. So knowing that it's the opportunity to be a bit of an entrepreneur in how you help a brand think about who they are, what attracts the customers to them, why they become loyal, and how you can deepen that relationship. You have to have that curiosity factor and that spark to understand and dig into the areas that are beyond surface value and look at some of the behavioral and societal factors that shape someone's attraction to a particular like laundry detergent, as an example. Whereas in the world of finance, we take some of those same elements, but it, and it's still entrepreneurially in nature and build something from the ground up to help, you know, solve some of the larger challenges of where does the puck going in wealth management? And how does an, a financial advisor position his or her business to capitalize on those growth trends? Um, so that's what attracted me to the practice management role that I hold now. And it's been a wild ride to get here. But I think the other factors that keep me here have to do with the tremendous amount of flexibility that we have because we work across all distribution channels, all different types of clients across all geographies. That to me is having my cake and eating it too. And then the motivation that I think fuels all of us is it's a relationship-based business. 
so how do we, one, have the impact to help our sales team cultivate more business, win business, and grow the relationships with our clients? But on the client and partner side, how do we help them survive and thrive and come back for more? And that's very fulfilling for us. So the relationship-based business element, I don't think is necessarily something I would have anticipated being in finance. Montana, what about you? you know, what led you to pursuing this role? Yeah, so um, I have been in some degree of finance for um, for my whole career thus far, but I was about five years ago, I did move into focusing specifically on ETFs. And I was lucky enough to join a team of ETF veterans that um, really, I mean, they were involved in starting some of the first ETFs. Um, and it was really just, I mean, being taken under under their wing and just being able to absorb all of that knowledge and those relationships um, and really just take advantage of like all that they had to offer. It was just, it was, it's been a great experience. Um, and I knew once I entered the ETF industry, I knew that it was something I wanted to continue to be a part of my career and you know, make a career out of it. It's really just such a like passionate type group of people. Um, who want to work together to, to grow the ETF industry as a whole, um, not necessarily just kind of if we all grow, we'll grow together um, kind of thing. So, I, and after so spending most of my time um, on the trading and capital market side, um, I've recently moved over to be more of a, a product specialist on the distribution side of the business. So it's an exciting opportunity to really allow me to work closer with another aspect of the ETF ecosystem so that I, you know, have more, a greater understanding and more experience in the, the broad ecosystem as a whole. Thank you. And, and thank you both for that. Um, and I have to just throw it back to you for a second, Bree, with the, uh, mm-hmm. you can't dig the dirt. If you can't dig the dirt, you can't dish it. And yeah. um, it's such a, such a good line. And as a, you know, a suspense writer myself, I feel like I absolutely have to dig into the stuff that like people get into in order to dish it out in some sort of narrative way that's like compelling. So I think I actually might use that with my writer friends, you know, like what, what dirt are you digging? And the dirt's, you know, not only is bad, you know, dirt's what it is that things grow in, you know? So like, you know, what is at the roots of the problems that we have and, you know, and how can we serve it up in a way that's like entertaining for readers? So I think I'm stealing that. So thank you for that <laughs> line. <laughs> Anytime. It's a great way to think about things. It really is. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, what dirt are you willing to dig? And, mm-hmm. um, and in your, in the roles that, you know, surround this idea of business intelligence and the idea of like understanding what's going on in the industry so that you can serve it up in either it's in story form or it's the idea of like pulling the right people together in a room to be able to, you know, to lift all ships, um, as you were saying, Montana, maybe you can help us dive a little bit into, you know, as you're keeping a pulse point on this industry, what do you see in terms of emerging technologies or trends that you think are going to impact um, your role or the industry itself? Montana, you want to take that one? Yeah, so um, I think just really the the ETF ecosystem is is really an, an innovative and, and market as a whole. So I think just 
staying, continuing to learn and continuing to stay up to date on the different um, trends, whether it's on a more like technical end, mutual funds to ETF conversions, and whether that, you know, is an opportunity to take advantage of internally, or whether it's really just taking advantage of, of different marketing and distribution trends. I think it's just really being able to adapt and use the different like opportunities available um, and or developing your own um, to, to really ensure that you're not only staying up to date, but also being, you know, first to the market and having those ideas. What about you, Bree? What, what do you see out there that people need to be aware of? So I, I completely agree with the sentiment. I mean, I think we definitely all recognize there's change, but I, I think there's more of it than we realize. Uh, when you start, you know, pulling at some of the layers of the onion on what's happening, why it's happening. I mean, the whole ETF ecosystem was is a great example unto itself because it democratized access to investing in a very affordable manner for every investor. Um, so in trying to keep that same lens and thinking about what's next, and when we navigate this landscape, that's a primary uh, question that the, my team asks all the time, not only of ourselves, but our clients. So are we the disruptor? Or are we being disrupted? And no matter where the answer really lies, everyone agrees that standing still is not an option because growth waits for no one. So we, we love to start there when trying to help someone see something that feels really high and pie in the sky in terms of, well, generative AI is the next big thing. Well, it's already here. Totally agree it's the next big thing. Now let's think about how that actually makes a difference in your business day to day. And I think that, you know, pulling on that thread of generative AI, I think back to how financial advisors source prospective clients. So when they initially did that, it was about cold calling. You know, you got the yellow pages and you smiled and dialed. Then, you know, we moved on to warmer call lists that were generated from more of the, you know, automated AI. So Bree, from your experience, you know, what are the specific strengths or qualities do you think are most important for your role? So if you think about the listeners that are looking and saying, I'd love to be able to do what she does, what are the things that they should be developing in themselves to, to be able to take your seat? So let me answer that from two perspectives, the one for my seat, and then a little bit more piece of general insight, no matter what seat you want. Wonderful. So if you have designs on being part of a practice management team, whether it's a member or running the show, be curious. I think that's a skill set that is hands down a baseline requirement. And I hire for curiosity, and there's three reasons why. The first one is curiosity has a massive impact on the team's performance because it challenges everyone to think about how you navigate uncertainty uh, and the pressures with much greater ease. The second reason why I think curiosity is essential in a skill set for team members coming on board is when you trigger curiosity in the individual or as a group, everyone's in a better spot to be more thoughtful and precise in how they think. Uh, and that allows us to come at solutions uh, that are not only valuable for our clients, but more tailored to what is the challenge at hand and in a more effective manner. And then the third reason is when you cultivate curiosity in yourself, and this through the lens more particularly of a manager or in a leader, then that curiosity in the mindset not only earns you respect from those that follow your lead, 
but also inspires the employees, whether they're directs or not, that are around you. And of course, the clients and partners that you work with. So you can develop this more trusting and more collaborative approach. So I think hands down, being curious is essential. The more general piece of advice I would give to people listening to the podcast today is the fact that you need a a personal team. You need coaches, you need mentors, you need sponsors to navigate wherever you're going um, throughout your entire career journey to be more effective. You know, I think I said this in the beginning, you know, gone are the days of this straight path where you just went one rung on the ladder after the, the, the next. Uh, never mind the type of career where you stayed in this, this linear line of just climbing up and up and up against marketing. I mean, we all go sideways. Some of us step down to step up and, and or leave industries altogether, remake, do our own businesses. So I wish that someone had told me that much earlier on in my career, because when I think to my personal team now, which I have, I can't help but reminded by what one of my sponsors says to me is, hey, I'm on Team Brie Williams, the advisory board. So when I know I have someone there that's you know giving me criticism when I don't want to hear it, but I need to hear it, or giving me that well-earned praise that I, I do need to listen to, or showing me a different side of the equation that I didn't have yet see, showing me the ropes, introducing me to someone that's necessary for me to get to know, pounding uh, my name on the table and wearing my brand. All of that is critical to helping me get to wherever I want to go. So it brings my personal vision to the table, not just my skill set and my performance. What great advice. And I would say for any listener out there that just wanted to double click on intellectual curiosity or this sort of personal board of directors, which I think is what you're what you're mm-hmm. saying, Bree, is we've got two episodes. We've got one with, um, I think it's Emily Meyer that talks at length on how to develop that curiosity muscle. It is so good. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And then the other one is with Jill Mavro, and I think it's Kelly McKenna, and it's a mentoring conversation about the two of them. But they talk about how to build and cultivate this personal board of directors and how to make people very aware that they are your personal team and what their role is on it. And I found I'm with you, Bree, that like, I wish someone had told me early on that I needed this personal board of directors. Like mm-hmm. I think about all the times where I felt kind of alone in decision-making and maybe I had a mentor or maybe I had somebody that I trusted, but boy, did I want different voices. And, you know, it's hard to assemble them at the time that you're going through some sort of critical decision, right? You need them. Yeah you know, to be building with you. They need to know you so that when they offer their advice, they're doing it in context of a lens of which they've seen you, you know, with past struggles or past successes. So thank you so much. Um, I think, I think that's just, uh, just such good insight um, for our listeners. What about you, Montana? If you're thinking about the listeners, what advice do you give them for stealing your job? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so so like Bria kind of um wanna provide a, a two-part answer. So my role specifically, um, I think, you know, just really staying eager to learn and willing to learn um and adapting um and pivoting when needed um is important. Um and also just having an analytical mindset, but being able to translate that into how we can package that into language to advance and grow our business um and communicate that effectively. Um, and not just, you know, I guess having the data um, because the data is great, but how can we use that data, you know, to to grow our business? Um, and then I guess the the other part is just, um, I guess, entering into the ET, ETF ecosystem in general. 
So I think, I mean, and for me, it's been really important to just don't be afraid to ask questions or to reach out to those more senior um, in the industry. And like I mentioned um, earlier, the industry is really full of, of passionate, knowledgeable um, leaders who really want more folks in the industry. Um, they're they're going to be happy to sit down with you and teach you about different aspects of the industry. So I guess my advice would be it's okay to not be an expert um, ETF you know, advocate as long as you're willing and you're eager to learn. Um, there's people that are willing to teach you and um, there's resources out there that can offer that um, knowledge as well. And much more willing to teach you when you don't come across as being an expert in something you're not too, right? You know, exactly. That, that idea that we all still have a lot to learn, which I think was a, a concept before we even started this podcast uh, today. So thank you so much for that, Montana. We are at our last question, which is just near and dear to my heart. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like reading and exploring other things through that concept of intellectual curiosity and always being eager to learn not only helps us sort of expand our knowledge base, but also grows in our empathy toward other people. So maybe I'll start with you, Montana. Is there a book that you have read recently that you would love to um, introduce to our listeners? Yeah, so um, I actually just finished the book. My, so my favorite genre to read is memoirs. Um, I just think people's lives are so interesting because everyone's life is just so different and how they get to where they are and things like that. So I just finished um, Rise by Lindsay Vaughn. Um, and it's, it's really just an inspiring memoir about her success um, as a professional skier, but also the sacrifices and, you know, the hard work that it took to get her there. So it, it was um, a great book. Thank you. What about you, Brie? So I'm really torn about how to answer this question. And I keep some of my favorites on my windowsill. So I just grabbed three that because I can't choose between them because it's like asking me to choose my favorite kid. Um, so first one's Carla Harris right here, um, Lead to Win. And she's with Morgan Stanley and she's amazing. And she does these pearls of wisdom and they're fantastic for whether it's navigating one's career or trying to work through a particular challenge with project you're working on. I just think that the way one leads, she has a fantastic way of just capturing that. If you've ever heard her speak, um, she's irresistible. She should definitely be on your TED Talk list for sure. The, The other book, and I think this has probably been mentioned in some of your earlier podcasts, but I'd be remiss not to talk about it, is When Women Lead by Julia Horstein. And this one here, the, the common thread of what makes a fantastic female leader, the gratitude, the vulnerability, the empathy, which are softer skills and many of us dismiss, uh, I think is where the superpower really lies. So this book I continue to go back to. And then the last one is something a little different. It's called The Only Woman. And this is by Emmy Humes. And this is a bit of a, a picture book with stories where there's these really old photographs. I, mean, I don't know if you can see this on the camera here. But each of these photos that are in here, there's one woman. And there has to be a story or a reason as to why she's the only woman or the first woman. So I already have sticky notes in here because there's wonderful stories that just make their way into some of the subject matter that my team even works on that puts it to, into a different context. So if you really just want to take a trip down memory lane and look at the woman before you that either got there first or were the only one in that particular field or experience. It's, it's a fascinating read. 
Oh, thank you so much. That is a brand new one for me. But wow, it's where that picture can really tell the story, which is kind of comes full circle on on what you do, Bree. So thank you for introducing that um, to us. Thank you both for your time today. Um, I just appreciate so much you opening yourself up to these questions and helping our listeners see what drives you and um, what may drive them to, to find a role similar to yours. Thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews tell Apple that this is a podcast worth listening to. And in turn, your reviews will help We Talk Careers get in front of more listeners looking to succeed, just like you. And while you're there, go ahead and hit that follow button because there's going to be another brand new episode and you don't want to miss it. Until then, keep thriving. Thank you for listening.